prayer. That is awesome. Thanks, Nick, for uh, not singing O Canada today. He said he, he, said he sang uh, the Star Spangled Banner at uh, um, Dayton Dragons game. I was like, are you sure you, you, you didn't sing O Canada and start off with O Canada? Uh, <laughs> so, man, thank you so much for using your, your giftings, man. And we, uh, we appreciate that a lot, dude. Oh, and now you're going up to serve. <laughs> Look at that. Man, that's, that's one of our teenagers, folks. That's one of our teens. We absolutely love that. They're, they're, they're serving, and we, we want them to be a part um, because they are the church. They're not the future church. They're, they're the church right now. And so I, I'm just grateful for our teenagers, our kids, and I'm grateful for you. Um, I, before I begin, man, I, I just, uh, just want to pray. So let's just pause for a second. God, you're constantly calling. You are speaking. Not only in the hour and a half of a service, but you're speaking to us throughout our day. But we come collectively as the body to worship you and to listen to you, to learn together. And to go in action together, but separately. This morning, I ask that you speak through your word, through the truth. Will you divide? Will you pierce? May we just drop our guard today. And I ask that you remove me from the equation, Lord. Less of me and more of you. We ask that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, don't have it on the screen yet, but you can uh, prepare yourself by going to uh, 1 Samuel. Um, we're going to stay in 1 Samuel chapter 10, um, 11, 9, 10, 11, or 9, 10, and 13. Um, it's in the front end of the Bible, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel. And uh, so, um, as you're turning there, uh, at the end of August, um, my wife and I, uh, we, we celebrate what we call our Anna birthday. Um, it's our anniversary and our birthday. Uh, so, uh, or my birthday, not our birthday. We were bur bo both born on the same day. Uh, but we, we celebrate our Anna birthday, and uh, I suggested that we get married on the 28th of August so that I can always remember our anniversary because it's the day before my birthday. Um, and w this year we, we celebrated um, by trying to go to our usual spot, which is down in the Smokies. Uh, we found a cabin um, several years ago, and and it's just kind of like, it's our ah, place, you know? And uh, we, were leaving on, we were leaving on Friday, but the cabin was booked on Saturday. So um, we, we, Amy tried to find a place about uh, several hours south. And uh, 
she did hotwire to try to find a really good deal because she's frugal. Um, she doesn't like to spend a whole lot of money. And uh, so um, she, she went on Hotwire, and if you've never used Hotwire, basically um, you, you search for a hotel in a given area, and it, it kind of has this, this, this area, and you, you have choices by stars, like three and a half stars, four stars, whatever. And you don't necessarily know which hotel you're going to get until you, like, click submit, and, but... Um, so she, she picked the area, and I didn't necessarily know exactly where we were going to stay. Uh, she picked the area, picked the, picked the star rating, and clicked it. And it actually happened to be this place. <laughs> um, it was really cheap, too. It was like 70 bucks or something, like 60 bucks, 70 bucks. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that expensive. This actually is, happens to be in uh, my college town, Williamsburg, Kentucky. This is the Cumberland Inn. Uh, it used to be called the Cumberland Lodge. And uh, it is, it, it's, it's gorgeous. It's, it's seen its heyday. Uh, but um, we arrived to Williamsburg, Kentucky, and I started noticing a lot of differences from the get-go of my old college town, my stomping grounds, Cumberland College. Now it's called the University of the Cumberlands. First thing I noticed was there was a girls soccer game going on in a nice, wonderful complex that we didn't have when I was on the soccer team and I was miffed. Um, but this hotel, or this inn, if you will, 20 years ago this summer, I worked there. Um, I got tired of putting frozen patties on the McDonald grill and I decided that I was going to try to find another job and I knew some people that knew some of the student my fellow students that worked there athletes and etc and so I put in my my application and I had the most awkward interview experience I've ever had in my entire life I will not tell that from the pulpit um, just awkward, man. But uh, anyhow, uh, they hired me. So I started working through the spring of my junior year and completed my junior year, and here comes summer. And so in the summer of 1998, I decided to stay down in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Found an found a apartment downtown, and I worked there as a doorman. And it was right there that I was the doorman. Um, yeah. They issued me a black pair of slacks they, with a white button-up shirt with a black bow tie and a three-quarter white jacket. I was spiffy, man. And I stood there all day long. My responsibilities were to open the door for anyone, greet everyone, and then take luggage wherever they needed me to take luggage. Uh, and oftentimes I would have to clean the floor, but more than anything, I stood and stood and smiled my way through it. I had a lot of time to process. I was a, going to be a senior in college, and I was 20 years old, and I had no idea what was going to happen in my future. And so standing there, in that door, they actually now, it's automatic doors, they took my job. 
there's no need for a door guy now. Because <laughs> apparently we didn't do a good job anyways. Because that summer, as I was walking through this place, I began to think through what I was doing 20 years ago. That was the 1998 World Cup. So I went to the front desk and got a key to a room, and I spent two hours in a room watching the World Cup. This had the most comfortable, warm, wonderful men's room that I fell asleep in a lot. I was able to get lots of meals for free from the fancy diner that's no longer fancy anymore. But I stood there, right there, waiting for people to come through the door. And I had so much time to process, so much time to think. What could be? At 20 years old and going into your senior year, you just, you're wondering what's going to happen in your life. You begin to develop plans in your mind. My plans were I was going to be married by 24 and uh, I was going to uh, have two to three kids, um, maybe two and a half, however you calculate that. And uh, then by, by the age of 30, I would have had my master's degree in clinical psych and gotten a doctorate degree. And uh, then I would have been counseling and happily married and doing what I wanted to do. We know that didn't happen. We definitely don't, you know, that didn't happen at all. I didn't meet my wife until I was uh, 32. Um, so really messed up. No kids, no doctorate degree. I'm not a counselor by any means, but um, a lot of time to think. And you ask yourself in those positions, what truly could be? What are the possibilities here? However, when you get a little older, you start asking the questions, how much did my life count? How much impact did I have? Those are some of the same questions that I was asking, but in a different form. Will I have a lot of impact? Will my life count? In fact, I even wondered... And this is really weird for a 20-year-old. Who is going to be gathering around my funeral? But as we get older, we ask different questions, kind of on the opposite end. But the one question that you don't want to ask, at least I hope not, is what could have been? Rather than what could be, you're asking yourself what could have been. That sounds like a question of regret. What if I had? What could have been? As a juvenile probation officer, I, I had a partner in justice. Um, and I'll leave his, I'll call him Jimbo to save his name. Um, he was my partner in, in justice. Our, our, our cubicles were right next to each other. And we, we threw stuff over the wall, and we joked with each other. We got to know each other really, really well. Um, but before we were able to get to know each other well, uh, we had to figure out each other. We had to get to know one another. And our common ground was music, uh, classic rock, and hair metal, right? 
from the late 80s. And we would just talk about bands. And every now and then, Jimbo would ask some questions about my life. And I was able to share a little bit about Christ and my love for, for God. And he really didn't want anything to do with it. So much so that when uh, we, I stood in his wedding, we had the wedding actually in the courtroom where we had our everyday court hearings officiated by our judge who hope I never say this said please put the finger on the ring don't ever want to say that while I'm officiating a wedding but um, <laughs> you caught it there good um, Jimbo wanted nothing so much nothing to do with church so much so that he didn't want his wedding in a church after some time I got to understand Jimbo and what um, he was really dealing with. Years before, years before, he knew that he was called to, to pastor. He knew that he was called to preach. And for whatever reason or reasons, he didn't walk in that. He didn't step into that. In fact, he hadn't stepped into a church for 15 years. I wonder if that's probably somebody here or someone's here. He hadn't stepped into church for 15 years. And it was because of that. He walked away. And in that point of life, he was asking the question, what could have been? Rather than what could be on the front end, he asked what could have been. What about all the lives that could have been impacted? What about all the forevers that were changed? The eternities that were handed over to the Lord? What about all the transformations that could have happened as a result of him stepping into what God called him to? Now, I know not everybody's called to preach. This is just one example. Folks, this morning's very simple. Whatever God may call you to, follow through. Follow through with what God calls you to. So that on the back end, you're not asking the question, what could have been? What could God have done in me? Or you? What could God have done through you? I don't think anybody in here really wants to walk out of this life with regret. There's a man in the Old Testament, Saul. Saul, this is not the Apostle Saul. Sometimes we get those confused. I got those confused a lot when I first came into Scripture. This is not Saul, who was now known as Paul, who, read, who wrote most of the New Testament. This is, this is Saul, ahead above the rest Saul. Old Testament Saul. King Saul. Donkey chasing Saul. The man who fell from grace Saul. The man who fell on his own sword Saul, 
And I know I'm kind of putting something on the scripture here, but go with me. At the very end of the book of Sam, 1 Samuel, the Philistine army has come in. Saul's sons are dead. He's standing there with his armor bearer, knowing that as a wounded man, as the wounded king, that if the Philistines come in, he's going to die by their sword, and they're going to make mockery of him. And in that moment, he calls the, the armor bearer to draw his sword and pierce him with his own sword. But the armor bearer says, no, I will not. And so Saul, in his old age, falls on his own sword. And I wonder, did he ever at any moment ask the question, what could have been? What might have been? Had I followed through? Had I stepped into what God called me to? Had I stepped into the identity that God gave me? I just wonder. Saul's story starts out with Samuel, who we talked about last week. Samuel was the prophet and the judge. He was the essential leader in a time where Israel had no kings. Yet, at that moment, in Samuel's old age, the people wanted a king. They demanded a king. And Samuel said, you don't know what you're asking for, but this king that you asked for will take your sons, and they will lead the chariots and the horses. They will tend and cultivate his land. They will fight his wars. They will command thousands. They will, he will take your daughters. They will be bakers and cooks and perfumers. You don't know what you're asking for. They will take the best of what you have. If you have a king, that is what they will do. God is your king. Yet the people demanded. And the Lord heard their cry. And so, Samuel and Saul come together in a moment. Saul himself was out wrangling donkeys. If that ever gives you a picture of Saul and gives you a picture of Israel, they're a bunch of donkeys running around, stubborn and obstinate. Saul was a man ahead above the rest. He towered over all the people. And so if you will, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 9. Some of the scriptures will be up on the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him as leader over my people, Israel. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked upon my people, for their cry has reached me. And so, as we just hit some snapshots of Saul, 
we already see that God has selected the leader, the king of Israel. And Samuel, being the judge, being that spiritual leader, is the one that has been commissioned by the Lord to put Saul in position. And so, 1 Samuel chapter 10. After a conversation on a roof, that next morning, verse 1, Then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head, and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you over his inheritance? Folks, whatever God calls you to, follow through. Follow through with it. Here, the Lord has called Saul, son of Kish, a Benjamite, a man who stands above all, to be the leader, the king of his people. Samuel follows through with what God has called him to do and has put oil on his head and anointed Saul's leader. God, in fact, as, as Saul began to walk this out, the Spirit of the Lord came on Saul. But I want you to notice what happens. What happens when the actual formal ceremony before all the people, before all of Israel... What happens in this moment? You will see a man, Saul, the antithesis of following through with what God has called him to do. What he does. If you would, turn the page to 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 17. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah. And said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all the calamities and distresses. And you have said, no, set a king before, set a king over us. So present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and your clans. And here comes the ceremony of the moment. I want you to notice what Saul does. When Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan. And Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? Folks, in the moment when the leader is put before the people, the one who is to be chosen, the one whose identity and role is to be king, he is not to be found anywhere. God has set something on Saul. Folks, you, I ask you today, what has God set on you? Some of you may be an encourager. Some of you may be the giver. Some of you may be the server. Some of you may be the teacher. Some of you may be called 
to full-time ministry. Some of you may be called to preach. Some of you, someone here may be called to be the best worker in their position, in their job, and to do it with excellence. Someone here may be called to be the disciple of their own kids, to stay home, whether it be the father or the mother. Whatever God has called on you, what is it? I hope that what we're about to read does not happen for you. So let's find out what happened to Saul. They inquired of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. They ran and brought him out. What kind of leader is this, folks? I'm pretty sure if he were in the U.S. military, and Matthew, you can correct me if I'm wrong, everyone under his command would try to usurp him or go somewhere else. Just in this moment, this is their leader, and he has failed to follow through with the identity, to receive it. He's reluctant to receive what God has for him. It's like my friend Jimbo. He was reluctant to receive what God had for him, what God called him to do. And so they brought him out. Continue in verse, verse 23. They ran and brought him out, and he stood among the people, and he was a head taller than all the others. Samuel said to all the peoples, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? How much clearer can it be? There is no one like him among all the people. And then all the people shouted, Long live the king. That's pretty interesting. But watch. Watch and wait. Verse 26. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some troublemakers, some troublemakers said, How can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But notice, Saul still does not walk in what God has called him to be. And he remains silent. He doesn't stop the negativity. He just lets it continue. Fast forward to a very pivotal moment. And this is the pivotal moment of Saul's life. He is now king. He's been crowned, he's been anointed, he's been put in front of everybody. And now he's leading men into battle. God has called him to not only be king, but to deliver his people from the Philistines. And it comes to a head early in his kingship. Chapter 13. And we'll be wrapping up here soon. Chapter 13, verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel. 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth Haven. When the men 
saw, men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and in cisterns. Folks, when you choose not to follow through with what God calls you to, other people will do the same thing. Their leader hid behind the baggage when he was to be anointed and brought before the people. Now his own men are doing the same thing. People will follow you. Whether you follow God or not, they're going to follow you. And here we have people cowering in the moment. But this is what I want us to catch. Verse 7. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. Folks, just previously in chapter 10, Samuel had said to Saul, you need to go down to Gilgal. I want you to wait for seven days. I want you to wait till I arrive. At that point, I'm going to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices. If you go back to chapter 7, we're not going to talk about that today, but if you go back to chapter 7, in a moment of battle, Samuel also offered sacrifices, burnt offerings, right before the battle of the Philistines, and the Lord thundered, and there was victory. Samuel knew what he had commanded Saul to do, because that is what God called Samuel to do. And Saul was to follow through with what God had called him to do. And yet... Here we have Saul in the heat of the moment where the pressure is from all sides. He waits seven days. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. As a leader, what do you do? What do you do? You start chasing your tail, you start pulling at straws. You start trying to make things happen. Verse 9. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. Folks, when God calls you to something, follow through follow through whatever he calls you to follow through Samuel went out to greet him what have you done folks in this moment what could be became what could have been are you at that crossroad today I hope you're still looking forward to what could be and not looking back and saying what could have been. When whatever God calls you to, follow through. Verse 15. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You've not kept the command the Lord God gave you. If you had, and listen to what he forfeited. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all the time. 
but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after God, after his own heart, that being David, and appointed him leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. The very end of verse 15. Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. Whatever God may call you to, follow through. Folks, the men began to scatter so much so that he was only with a very few amount of men compared to the thousands that the Philistines were coming in. The end of Saul's story is Saul falling on his own sword for fear of the Philistines. He was called to be the king and the leader. He was raised up for a very specific purpose, one of it which was to defeat the Philistines, to conquer them. Folks, what has God called you to? Even though you may be in your old age or your young age, God has still called you to something. You're not done. He's not done through you. Saul didn't enter in. I don't know if it was fear. That would be my guess. But whatever the case may be, he did not step into what God had called him to. You may have a different reason. You may be teetering on what God has called you to. And I'm not talking lifespan. He might have just called you to go talk with someone. Very simply. To give a $20 bill to someone. To feed someone. To serve somewhere. I'm not talking lifespan here. Maybe even in the moment. Whatever he calls you to follow through with it. Because Saul stands as a warning. Even before he took the sword. Years before, because of his choosing not to follow through, God had already raised somebody up to be king. It took 30 years for David to actually take throne. Folks, whatever God calls you to, follow through. Will you please stand? I know this was very scripture heavy. And I'm pretty sure many of you probably tuned me out at some point or another. I probably tuned myself out. But I know the Lord spoke. I do. So I'd like for you just to bow your head for one moment. And I would like for you to ask yourself, what has God called you to? Could be career, career changing, life changing. It could be very simple. But what has he called you to right now? What are you resisting? Answer that question. If you don't know, take this moment and ask the Lord.
what are you calling me to? Will you do that? Verbally do that out loud right now. Heavenly Father, you are in the business of redemption. And the church was formed for that mission. These folks are the church. Lord, you have called each and every one of us to something. Whether on a daily basis or for our career and our life. Lord, will you make that very clear in them today? And Lord Jesus, I ask and I pray that you empower them to step into that, to take on the identity that you have given them because of the cross of Christ and the resurrection, that they are sons and daughters of the King. They are light. They are salt. They are new creations. They are inheritors May they step into that today and empower them to follow through with what you've called them to. We love you, Lord God. We thank you. And we give you glory today. Amen. Folks, may you love the Lord your God with all your heart your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please, please, please love your neighbor as yourself. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you tonight at 5.